morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Each Sunday, I try to remind us of our position before a God. We are saints. That's where we find our identity, and we make mistakes. We fall short and sin, but luckily, we worship a Savior who is full of truth and grace, and that's a beautiful thing. Amen? We continue on uh, with our study of ACT, how to act. We started with believe, and we looked at some core beliefs, and now we're looking at how do we act. Before we get into the sermon this morning, uh, I wanted to mention next Sunday evening at 4 p.m., that's next Sunday at 4 p.m., we're putting together the event calendar for the next year. And we have anywhere from 15 to 18 events every year. If you're wondering how we get it all done, I have no idea. But it starts next Sunday at 4 p.m. in the fellowship hall. We'll get together and everybody's ideas will be listened to and the elders will decide what we're going to do for the year and we'll put that calendar together uh, next week. Please be a part of that because the more people we have involved in that, the greater our success is. Again, that's next Sunday at 4. Well, we can't stop with the beliefs just up here in our heads, right? They must migrate down a few inches south into our hearts, and then they've got to creep out into our hands and our feet and, and into our voice and make a difference in the lives around us. Our theme verse for this series is, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Somewhere along the way, we, we, get, we get this mistaken idea that what happens inside these four walls uh, two or three times a week is worship. And it is. But real, true worship, proper worship, is a life lived out day to day, every day that we live for Christ. Amen? Amen. We're right now on prayer. And it should have been, whoops, I got ahead of myself. This morning, our key question is, how do I grow by communicating with God? Our key idea is, I pray to God to know Him, to find direction for my life, and to lay my request before Him. Our key verse for the prayer is David's psalm. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer nor withheld his love for me. This was to be a simple uh, one Sunday sermon. And as we started working with it, it ended up being uh, two Sundays and having three parts, and I've got to tell you, the more I prepared for this lesson, the more I kind of wish I had given a whole month to this subject, because there's so many things that I'm not going to be able to talk about in the time that we have allotted. But today, we're going to talk, this is part two, philosophical issues. I want you to remember last week, 
We talked about, does God listen? And unequivocally, yes, he does. We looked corporately. Does he listen to us corporately as a church? And we decided, yes, if he listened to the Israelites corporately pray to be delivered from bondage, he was going to listen to us corporately as a church to pray. And if he listened to us individually, and yes, he does. We talked about the story of Cornelius and how Cornelius prayed to God and, and that was lifted up to God and how his entire family was saved through the prayers of one man. And then we looked at how should we pray. And when asked how should we pray, Philip Yancey, Yancey answered, keep it simple, keep it honest, and keep it up. Keep it consistent. Keep always praying. We looked at the model prayer that Jesus set before us, not as a verbatim prayer to be repeated over and over again, but as a framework that we might lead prayers in this framework that Christ gave us. And we looked at what Levi has talked about already this morning, acts, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication in every one of our prayers that we offer up to God. And by doing this, we know that we are, preach, or we are praying a well-rounded prayer to God. We went ahead and we talked about keeping it simple and keeping it honest and keeping it consistent. So this morning that brings us to philosophical issues. One, pray to the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit. Number two, does the amount of my faith matter? And number three, why does God not grant all prayer requests? And I tell you, I could spend a whole sermon on every one of these points, and they're very important, and I still would not have scratched the surface of the subject of prayer. And i got to tell you, I've been reading an awesome book, and every one of the elders has this book. It's, it's called Prayer by Philip Yancey. And if you want to take a deep dive in, into the subject matter of prayer, uh, get hold of that book. It is, a, it is an awesome book on the subject of prayer. First, pray to the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. I was brought up in a very traditional church of Christ. And Rick, I was always taught that you were to always pray to the Father through the Son in the name of the Son. But as I studied prayer more deeply, I think that that doctrine might need to be looked at again. So let's look. Can we pray to God the Father? And the answer is absolutely yes. When Christ offers up his prayer, he offers it up to the Father who is in heaven. So there's no doubt Christ gave us the example here to pray to the Father. The question is, can we pray to God the Son? And I worded it that way for a reason. God the Son. And I've always been told, no, Keith, you, you shouldn't pray to God the Son, just God the Father. And then I did a little more reading, and this is some of the conclusions that I came to. In John 14, Jesus has just explained to the apostles that he and the Father are one. He just, he's trying to tell them, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. 
And he goes through that several times, trying to explain to them that they are one. And if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. My behavior is the Father's behavior. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And he goes over and over, and then he gets to the end of this discourse, and he makes this statement. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He's saying, if you ask me. He's talking about himself. Jesus is saying, ask me and ask it in my name and I will do it. We go on farther to Revelations 22. And John is is being told what to say and what to write. And, and, and I could just imagine feverishly, he, he's in this dream state being told what to say and what to write down. And he's having these conversations and he's listening to Christ and he's, and he's like a play-by-play person for a sports team. He's filling in the discourse that Christ is giving him. And in 22, Christ keeps saying, I'm coming soon. I'm coming back soon. I'm coming soon. And in between these statements, as I'm coming back soon, John is filling it in with more information about the statement. And then we get down to verse 20, and he says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. And like a good audience, John says, Amen. Did you get that? I hope you did. And then he says, Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Who's he praying to? Who's he telling, Come, Lord Jesus? He's talking to the Son. He's telling the Son, Come. Come quickly. That's exactly what the word Maranatha, only used one time in the New Testament, means. Come, Lord Jesus. It was a phrase used and written down by New Testament Christians in the first century constantly. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Or, Lord Jesus, come. Constantly. Who are they, who are they asking to come? Who are they praying to to come back? The Son. We take a look at John 20 and 28. Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. But really sometimes he's bold. But Thomas, Thomas is a show-me type of guy, right? He's he's the first Missourian we ever see in the Bible. He's a show-me man. And he says, I'm not going to believe on the Savior until I can see the holes in his wrist and the, and the holes in his side. And guess what? Jesus appears, and what's the first thing Jesus tells him? Here, look at the holes in my wrist. And here, he pulls back his garment and says, put your hand in my side. And then we have this statement from Thomas. Thomas answers and says to him, my Lord and my God. I think we get in trouble when we start trying to separate God the Father and God the Son. They are what? One. We go to 2 Corinthians 
12. Paul's got an issue, okay? He's a smart guy. I mean, you, you grow up in a Jewish family, predominant family, and then you get educated by one of the smartest men in, in the world, Gamaliel, who is considered the best rabbi, the best Pharisee to study under. And then you're driven. Man, nobody's driven to succeed like Paul is driven to succeed. And so if you had this drive and you had this great education and this great upbringing and a little bit of wealth behind you, what might you have a tendency to do? Get arrogant? And so Paul had a problem. He's got to deal with his arrogance. Look at the scripture. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Oh, did I forget to tell you? Most likely when he was in Arabia, he spent three years under the direct supervision of who? Christ teaching him. So he's got this problem of arrogance. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored, implored of the Lord. I asked the Lord. I gave supplication to the Lord three times. Not once. He's following. Keep it simple. Right? Keep it honest. And keep it up. He's prayed three times. Take this thorn in the flesh away from me. I don't know what this thorn in the flesh was, but it humbled him, and it kept him humble. That I know. So he prays three times to the Lord that it might be taken away. Verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for the power is perfected in weakness. Who did he pray to? God the Son. Who answered him? God the Son. I looked in every version I could find that reads the red letter, that puts in red letter, and guess what? All of them say this is Jesus Christ answering him. Paul is praying to God the Son, and God the Son is answering him back. Can we pray to the Son? 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful through whom we were called into fellowship with his son. This word fellowship is an interesting word, koinonia. It means fellowship. In the King James Version, for those of you who like the King James, this means fellowship 12 times, communion, or, uh, communion four times, and communicate or communication two times. We're called into communion with God the Son, to communicate with, to commune with God the Son. That's what the word fellowship really means. So we come to the next. Can we pray to God the Spirit? Again, I've been told all my life, no. But i got to tell you, if the inference in in fellowship stands for the same, then I've got a problem. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the what? Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
This is the same word, koinonia. It has the same meaning. Now, I have to admit to you that not once in the New Testament do we have an example of someone praying directly to the Holy Spirit. However, and I can't be dogmatic about it, okay? I can't tell you yes, absolutely. But I can tell you that if I can make the same reference for God the Son with the word fellowship, then it stands to reason that he wants us to communicate with the Holy Spirit also. I think it's important, though, as we look at prayer in relation to the Holy Spirit, that we look at what does the Holy Spirit do for us? How does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? We're controlled by the Holy Spirit. We think about things that please the Holy Spirit. We follow in the Spirit. We let the Spirit control and lead our lives and lead it to peace. And the Spirit gives us life itself because we've been made right with God. Okay? We can thank the Holy Spirit for raising us from the dead. But that's because that's who's going to give us that power. That's who gave Jesus Christ that power. And I don't think thanking him for that, Mike, is going to be wrong. But on the other hand, I think it's important that we need to pray for the virtues that the Holy Spirit gives us and the character in our life that the Holy Spirit gives us. Right? We all know the fruits of the Spirit. And then I also think it's important that we understand that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. One of the things about prayer is praying for God's will to be done. And Justin, i got to tell you, sometime Keith is too stupid to know what that is. But that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit... When Keith doesn't know what to say and how to communicate to put his life in line with Christ and God, it's okay because the Holy Spirit knows how and does it on my behalf. Does, it, does the amount of my faith matter? Now, if you're a staunch black and white person, you're not going to like the answer to this because I'm going to tell you no and yes does, it ma- does the amount of my faith matter? No. First, I'll argue this point. Mark 9, 23 and 24. The disciples are casting out demons. And, and, ca- and this father hears about it, and he runs them down to the disciples to cast this demon out of his son. And when he gets there, the disciples can't get it done. And it starts to draw a crowd because they're trying to throw this demon out and they can't get it done. And Jesus sees it and he walks up and he walks up to the crowd and says, what's going on here? And the father answers and the father says, well, I brought my son down here because I heard you could cast out demons. And he's got this demon that causes him to gnash by teeth and throw himself into fire and throw himself into water and make himself rigid. And and it's trying to kill him. And it's been doing this all his life. And he says, how long? And he says, since he was a baby. And then he makes this statement. 
He says, have mercy on us. If you can, help us. And Jesus says, if I can, if I can, all things are possible to him who believe. And immediately the boy's father, immediately the father who's brought the boy down here, who cares about his son, who wants to see his son healed, opens up with the honest answer. And you've got to respect the father for this. And he says, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Now, does this father sound like he's perfected his faith? Mike, does this sound like a guy who's really got his faith down pat? Does this guy sound like he understands all points? No. No, but he's got a little bit of faith. And because that little bit of faith in who he has the faith in, he heals the boy. So my answer is, does the amount of my faith matter? Well, no, because this guy's faith was not where it should have been, yet Christ heals the son anyway because the father, the father asked for it to be done. It's interesting, later on, the disciples, when it wouldn't be embarrassing, when they wouldn't look bad, later on come alongside Jesus and, and say, why couldn't we drive that demon out? Why couldn't we get rid of that demon like we've done the rest? And Christ says, this kind cannot come out but anything but prayer. You see, I, I, I think the important thing is that maybe the disciples, Mike, may have started thinking it's about them and their power. But that's not where the power is. Where the power is, is not in the faith, in our faith, but in who the faith is in. Do you understand? Did I say that right? It's not about our faith, but who our faith is in. That's the important thing. So does the amount of my faith matter? Why, yes, it does. Who would say otherwise? You go to James, and James implies there's a certain amount of faith needed when asking things of God. Let's look at the Scripture. But if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask what? In faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the man who ought not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Man, I, I've got a problem. Patsy, I've got a problem. Because I don't have a perfect faith because sometimes I doubt. Does that mean that none of my prayers are going to be answered? Well, that depends. James Burton Goff, uh, Kaufman and Richard C.H. Linsky says that the New Testament Christians understood this word in faith to mean the faith in Christ. What James is saying is that if 
you're going to ask for wisdom or anything from God. He's not saying you have to have the perfect faith because, Justin, if we have to have a perfect faith, you and I are probably out. But what he's saying is we've got to believe in Jesus Christ, who he is, that he was the Son of God. And in that faith, God loves to adore us with wisdom. So yes, we have to have faith, again, in Christ, to believe in Him. Because when we pray, the power is not in us, but who we have faith in, right? So number three, why does God not grant all prayer requests? It's obvious, right? God doesn't answer all prayer, excuse me, God does not grant all all prayers. Why does God not grant all prayer requests? Well, sometimes, excuse me, I got ahead of myself again. I wanted to point out the fact that one-third, almost one-third of all the Psalms are laments. And they're laments, David, because God's not answering or because, laments from David because David believes God's not answering his prayers. Take a look at this scripture. Now you read this and you think David's being pretty hard on God. But on the other hand, this is the man who God tells us, that scripture tells us, is a man after God's own heart. So it's okay to lament to God. And it's okay in our lives sometimes if we feel like God is not granting our prayers. So now, why does God not grant all our prayer requests? Sometimes it's about what's best for us. Sometimes we don't know what the best thing to pray for is. Moses, Jonah, Job, and Elijah all asked to be killed. And praise God, he didn't take him up on that request, right? Because Moses hadn't yet led the Israelites to the Jordan. Jonah hadn't finished his work in Nineveh to save that city. Job hadn't lived his second life that was more blessed than the first life. Elijah had not yet, had not yet seen Elisha yet to, to bring Elisha his spirit and also to raise up all the prophets of the land. So sometimes, Preston, our, answer, our prayers don't get answered because it's the best thing for us. i got to ask the question, how many of you guys in here, well, maybe how many of you ladies in here, just prayed and prayed that you'd marry that other guy? And now aren't you glad that he didn't grant that prayer? I know I am. Remember what we said about Paul a while ago? He wanted that thorn in the flesh removed, right? He wanted it gone. He didn't want to be discomforted. But he didn't, he didn't get the prayer answered or granted the way he wanted it. Why? Because it was the best thing for him. 
I got to tell you some of the worst things in my life that have happened to me have made me a more compassionate, a more understanding, a better, well-rounded person because of it. And God wouldn't take it away. Sometimes it's about our sin. How about David? He's lied, participated in deception, murder, committed adultery, and because of his sin, God will not grant the saving of his son who is dying. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, spent nights laying in sackcloth on the ground. The Bible says that the guys that were taking care of him were scared to death. He was going to starve himself to death and he would die in this mournful state. And God still didn't answer his prayers because of sin. Sometimes our request doesn't glorify God. Christ says in several verses, and ask anything of him and he will grant it. We're talking about Matthew 14, 12 through 14. He, he, he tells the disciples and he tells us, ask for anything in my name and I will give it to you. And you hear tele, televangelists all the time talk about this and they, they talk about God will give you everything and just ask and, and it's, there, it's name it and claim it, junk. But he puts, he puts a qualifier on it, folks. It's in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do for you. So what? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Sometimes Keith prays prayers that don't, that don't glorify God. And so those prayers don't get granted because they're really about selfish Keith. And those prayers, those prayers don't receive the same promise, do they? Francis Chan, I've told you the story before. A man asked to have his head anointed with oil and the elders to pray over him. And he goes into the room and they, they anoint the man with oil. And then they begin to pray. And Francis Chan stops and says, because this guy is dying and he wants them to pray for his life to live longer. And Francis Chan stops him and says, but why? Kind of sounds mean, doesn't it? But why? But why do you want us to pray for you to live longer? Because if it's just for you to live longer, I don't think I want to participate in this. But if you want us to pray to live longer so you can glorify God and bring more people into the kingdom, I'm all in. Why does God not grant all prayer requests? we might start thinking it's all about us. Remember the scripture back in Mark 9? This kind cannot come out only by prayer. He wanted the disciples, the apostles, to refocus and realize where the real power was coming from. I'm afraid that if every prayer that I prayed came true, then I'd have a huge responsibility, wouldn't I? Diane, every child that passed away, every child that died, if I didn't pray for him, it'd be my fault, right? Every war that ever started, 
start because I didn't pray for him. See, if I started believing that every prayer was going to be answered, it'd all be on me. And Justin, man, after a while, I'd be a weary man because I would be praying for 7 billion people. And I would be praying for those 7 billion people, Michelle, wouldn't do bad things to each other and nothing wrong would happen to them. And how weary we would become under that. We might think we could manipulate God. There's this guy in Acts. He's a sorcerer. Simon the sorcerer. He made people believe that he could manipulate the gods to do whatever he wanted. He made the crowds think he was a true magician, okay? That he was a sorcerer. At that time, magicians were people who could manipulate the gods to do what they wanted. And Simon comes along and sees the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to buy this gift so he can do more magic. And it didn't work out very well for him, it didn't. Look at Peter's response to him. So God doesn't grant all our prayers because we might think that we could manipulate God into answering all our prayers and put him in to our control. Sometimes God doesn't grant our prayers because we need to wait. Boy, this one's hard, right? Is this one hard on you? Because this one's hard on me, very hard. Just waiting, just having patience, just realizing that God has a perfect time. Ecclesiastes tells us, chapter 3, verse 1, that there is a time for everything under the sun, Mike. And Keith's time and God's time are not the same. So the conclusion. What does all this mean? I like the story about, well, I shouldn't say I like the story, but I'll use the illustration. Back in 1950, there were some Holland Dutch Calvinist farmers. Now, a Calvinist believes that everything's predestined and everything's God's will, and I don't have any control in it. And they're very staunch Calvinist, I might add. And it began to rain in the 1950s in Holland. And this huge flood came up, and these farmers got up on top of their farmhouses. And people came to rescue them. And they said, no, let God's will be done. And they drove boats up and tried to rescue them. And they sent rescue helicopters and told them, just hold on. Well, they wouldn't take the help. And so their barns and their houses were washed away, and so they lost their lives. And a journalist writes a small joke about them later. He says that they go to heaven, and while they're in heaven, one of these farmers says, I'm a little upset at you. You, you didn't save me, Lord. I was really putting my whole faith in you. And God says, I sent you two rescue boats and a rescue helicopter. What else did you want? 
You see, prayer is an opportunity to develop a relationship with a loving God, and prayer is a lot about a partnership with God. God usually works through human agents in our prayers. He comes alongside us and helps us out where we need it, Rick. He's been doing that since the beginning of time. When we pray to God, we have an opportunity to develop a relationship with a loving God. And i got to tell you, this loving God looks more like an intimate love relationship between a couple than it does anything else. And if you don't think God's that away, then you need to read Hosea. God looks more like a jealous lover than anything. And we've got to understand that prayer is about partnering with God. Not because he needs a partner, but because we need a partner in life. So as you pray and in your prayers, keep these things in mind that you're developing a relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that when we ask him for something that we're coming, he's going to come alongside us and help us bring more people into his kingdom so they can live with him forever. Because the redemption of man has always, always been God's number one goal for us as his creation. I'm going to remind you at the end of service, in the next song, our elders are going to stand up and move to the back of the auditorium. If you have a prayer that you would like to pray with them, if you would like prayers made on your behalf, if you need mentoring, if you need help in any spiritual way, these men love you and they're going to be there to help you. If there's anything that you feel like you need to come and confess to the church, come forward. If you're looking to be baptized, any of us would be glad to help you with that. Let's pray. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.